With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Folks, if you'd like a copy of Tales with TR, Fights, Film, and Folklore, visit flankerpress.com. If you'd like a personalized copy of Tales with TR, Fights, Film, and Folklore, along with an 8x10 for $25 plus shipping, email terryryan2020 at gmail.com. That's terryryan2020 at gmail.com for a personalized copy and a signed 8x10. Basketball has officially entered the second half of the season. This is the time for teams to prove if they are contenders or pretenders. And DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, is giving new players a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Get in on the action now to claim your free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes when using promo code THPN during sign-up. Playing daily fantasy basketball is simple. Just pick your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. With DraftKings, payday comes every day for players. So what are you waiting for? Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN during sign-up. This week, DraftKings is putting you in the action with free shots at millions of dollars in total prizes. That's promo code THPN, and you can get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Episode 50 of Tales with TR. I'm your host, Terry Ryan. And it's great to be here again this week. Glad we got to number 50. I guess that's somewhat of a milestone, isn't it? I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't really have many goals for this show. I'm not sure. I, I just went with the flow. I was doing third man in. Before this, with my buddies Chuck and Mike. But um, anyway, long story, the Hockey Podcast Network basically phoned. And we came to an agreement, and I went this angle. Not that I don't like talking hockey with the boys, 
on third man in and we had some great episodes too but um i just most people i have on this show are people i know intimately friends teammates whatever it might be not you know eventually it's probably gonna have to branch off but i i just like having the conversation and to be honest with you i didn't feel like um analyzing the game every week and that's the boys are great at it they, they don't play hockey much but they really are and uh, it was just two different directions but anyway check it out they're they're all archived um third man in so uh matt wells had a great reaction last week so we didn't talk much hockey but i was kind of curious how that would go over but it went over real well so thanks again to matt fellow Mount Perlian, really interesting conversation. I could probably, most of these guests I could have back, you know, multiple times, <clears throat> which is the case again today with Shane Corson. I don't have much time even for a preamble today because um, I was, you know, <laughs> I took my daughter to soccer and I don't want to be that parent because I'm not the parent that like is always at every game in practice. I mean, I love watching her and everything, but I'm not the guy like just, Hey, you know, you're doing this wrong. You're, you're doing that wrong. You, you would probably think some people that played something professionally that have a son or a daughter involved. I, I don't like that sort of thing because I see it from a lot of parents, but I love to be around the field. Now, normally you would think if, if people around a, a, a kid's, baseball or soccer field you know it's either parents or perverts right but i'm telling you i enjoy it i enjoy what not just penny lane i mean um tyson went through and you know you go down and and, and it's enjoyable because everybody's smiling and so happy to be there i guess adults are you know probably wouldn't be going to the field if they didn't want to but when you watch pro sports there's so much at stake and and it's so exciting for so many reasons right but not the least of which is the billions of dollars that are generated by the league and millions by each franchise, whatever it might be. And with that comes superstars on contracts and free agents and all kinds of storylines, right? And, and tens of thousands of fans. But when you go to watch kids play anything, they're just so happy to be there. Generally, generally, of course, I don't want to my email box, uh, my inbox flooded <clears throat> with people saying, no, Terry, well, I know this guy that, is an asshole parent and he goes to every practice and yells at his kid. No, I know that shit happens. I'm just saying generally children, especially after being bottled up for this long, but children are happy to be at the field. And I remember Tyson, when he played baseball, for example, it goes from like T-ball or then you're in the, I, I forget what they call it. Not mosquito anymore. Not Timbits, whatever it is. Little league or I, I don't know. But it's like what Mosquito used to be, 9 or 10. And, um, you know, no one can throw strikes, so it's painful. But once that peewee level comes, or beaver it used to be when I played, I think it's still peewee, it's peewee now. Once peewee and then bantam, it's great to watch because it, it's entertaining. People are pumped. There's a storyline. So I like going to, and, and in Newfoundland, we tend to support local stuff. So... You know, in Mount Pearl, for example, if we're hosting the under 14 soccer women's double A provincials playdowns, even, well, there'll generally be people there that not just parents. 
Um, there's exceptions to to the rule, of course, but uh, in Newfoundland, for sure, like I remember any big game growing up, there being a lot of fans, and I and we still do it now. But uh, to to elaborate on what I was saying earlier, I just uh, since Tyson came through, I guess ten years ago, around that age, I often go to watch local. I always went to watch local sports, but I watch more local minor sports. I mean, maybe that's subconscious because so much negativity is happening in uh, in the world, you know, not to generalize, but in the news cycles, you know, there's just always this push and pull and good versus evil. That, at least that's what it seems to me in TV, on Twitter, on most social media. So it's nice to just go throw your fucking phone in the back seat, get out of the car and watch uh, some kids having fun playing a sport, especially when they're being coached. Well, I don't want to get specific because I feel like I'm leaving people out. But Mount Pearl is a fantastic program, generally in all the sports. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm hands on now with soccer. I see a lot and um, they're doing it right. So keep that up. Uh, Leafs have never won more than two playoff rounds. So Travis from Saskatoon sends me that. And it just said that. It's just a statement. And I never really thought about it. I guess in 67, you know, they only had to play two playoff rounds. And since they haven't made the final, And I guess they were in you know, when when Gretzky, I st stuck Gilmore. I guess that was the semis. But yeah, they did, they didn't win them, so they haven't been in the final sense. I suppose they've never won more than two playoff rounds. The Toronto Maple Leafs. That's a hell of a statement. Uh, can they? Of course, anybody can. Will they? I don't know. I think they will. I think they will. I'm going to be that guy that says it. Uh, I got a few messages from some Habs fans here. I don't know, man, they're in tough. You're all saying the, basically the same thing. What kind of chance do you think they got? They're in tough, man. Because right now I'm watching them, and I don't really know who's a threat. I, I love Gallagher, but he's injured again, right? Like, God, a lot of, you, a lot of people say, you know, to me, <clears throat> Terry, why do you think the average size has gone down in the NHL? And the funny thing is, it hasn't. You're all brainwashed. It hasn't. Size is important. It's not as physical as it used to be. But think about it. Gallagher, you know, if you use Gallagher as an example, he was always there in flurry. Scott Sullivan was, or Steve Sullivan, sorry. Scott's from Southern Shore here. Steve, Steve Sullivan. I can go on and on. There's all kinds of small players, right? Uh, but more big players and if the i say to people if the average size has increased and it has then there can't be more small play i mean there technically there can that I mean there'd be more giants too right it's got to average out so there are players that that just tells you how good johnny goudreau and these players are uh to brink it is it and, and and gallagher i could keep going but but i mean the other side they seem to be injured a lot um, and it's a big league with, with no out of bounds. I, I'm right in the middle here. So I'm not, I got no, I'm, I'm impartial. I'm looking at it and I'm, I'm trying to look at it logically 
And a lot of you see articles written all the time. I see people on the sportscasters. Well, you know, in today's game, he can get ahead, but he wouldn't have before. I don't know. It was more physical before, but it was just, you know, still big players playing. There's, It's still important that Zdeno Cherif, he never dropped his gloves ever. If he never threw a hit, he's still got a wingspan of an albatross. It's hard to go around him. Shea Weber, if he just finished his hits, not even tried to maim you like he hit some guys, right? If he didn't even fight at all, he barely does, but, you know, he's tough if he wanted to, but... Right, it doesn't matter. They're still big players. You got to get from my. You got to get the puck into the other team's net, and I don't care if they take hitting out completely. It's still advantageous to be big. Ask Mario Lemieux. Um. Now, you know some of the smaller players can play a different style. They can probably, but I mean, so can the bigger players. You'll have to sell me on that until I see the average size go down. You're really going to have to have some kind of point that I haven't heard, thought of yet or seen to convince me. Again, if the average size went up, that means players are bigger. End of story. Connor McDavid might get 100 points. Connor McDavid might get 100 points. He needs almost two points a game for the next 10. Which there's a whole lot to unpack there. So what, what's the schedule would be 56 games this year, right? If he gets a hundred points in those 56 games, then this like romanticizing the, the nineties and the nostalgia for all the goals and points and don't look now, but we're getting there. I don't want to hear anymore about making the nets bigger. Or, or any of this shit. I, I don't think at this point now, I think we're back. Yeah, the goalies had less on, and but there was hooking and holding. There was everything else. And let's just give credit to Gretzky and Lemieux and who else? Hull and Solani and, and McGilney, you know, that had 70-odd goals. Lemieux and Gretzky, 90. Lemieux, 89, whatever, Gretzky, 92. You know what I'm saying? Because Austin Matthews, what happens if Austin Matthews plays 82 games this year and Connor McDavid does? Okay, what if, what if that happened? Well, you know, Connor would get have a realistic shot at getting 160, 170 points. If he slowed down, he'd get 150. That's astronomical. He's right in his prime. Uh, Matthews, he's almost got 40 goals. So no question he could get 60, right? He might get 70. So it'll be interesting, I think, next year, if for no other reason than, and I, I think in Matthews and McDavid's case, I, I think it's going to be watered down when they come back. to. But I'm sorry, I think the Canadian division is a, you know what? Take that away. No, I don't. But I think the Canadian division is good. And I think by playing more teams, I do think that they could get more points and goals respectively. And who knows? Maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe the reason that um, they're scoring so much is the same teams, but I don't think so. I think the Canadian division is a good division. I think teams like Calgary are blowing it up and they're going to Vancouver had a tough time and everything, but I don't know. I, I, you know, who knows? Maybe to be fifth in this division is to be second in another one. We don't really know. They're not playing each other, 
But what I do know is that those guys' numbers are off the charts. And that's the kind of thing we were seeing when we saw Lemieux and Gretzky and everybody else. But, you know, these guys are, are also, give them a bit of credit. Maybe just, you know, some of the best players ever were born at that time. Gretzky and Lemieux weren't around. Who would have won the scoring most years? Like LaFontaine, I think one year Iserman. I think Gretzky had like 212. or I'm around, right? So, again, I don't want 10 uh, different sets of messages. Terry, you're wrong on this. You're wrong. I I know I'm kind of right in that Gretzky had 215, 212, and it was over 200 points four times. Uh, Lemieux had 199. Right. Well, one of those years that the boys were like way ahead of everybody, like uh, Lemieux or my God, get the marbles out of your mouth. Uh, Eisenman had 150 odd. Right. So if those guys weren't playing, then that's right around what McDavid would be getting now. I'm not saying it's back, but men watch these games. Are you telling me that the players aren't dynamic and skilled? And I'm watching more skilled than I've ever seen. Man, it's, the players are fast. It's a it's a different game. It's not even that much different, though, right? People overdo it with the this is game. No one from back then could play. Well, I got news for you. Joe Thornton is still playing. And I know what you're going to say. Well, he's not that good. He's 42 playing on, I mean, one of the best teams in the league for sure. Again, it's hard to rate that this particular year. But Joe Thornton. I'm saying played through all that. Jadeno Chara is still going. So sometimes you, you you watch these 90s videotapes and they're, you know, the quality of tape has, has, has suffered over the years. It's, um, you know, players are having wood sticks. Goalies aren't quite as uh, acrobatic outside of a few. But what gets lost is that and all the rule changes. So you're thinking that all the players back then, all of them thrived on the hooking and holding and fighting and all, but that's not the case. Lots of players. I'll start with John Slaney from Newfoundland who went ninth overall. Great. John got 200 odd games in the NHL, but John plays now. It's not a size thing. It's just a physical thing. I think John is a all-star. Now I can go on and on, but those guys played Right, you, you, People act like, well, back then it was just all this way or all that way. No, the rules were different. But the players were still the best in the world. The 90s opened up. The, the Europeans started coming in. Look at it now. If you're a Calgary Flames fan, a fan, of course, in the 80s, you'd say, well, we had Hack and Lube. Lube was unbelievable. 100-odd points one year. Went back to finish his career back in uh, Sweden. Is that where he was from? He went back overseas in his prime. But I think that paved the way, and I think Makarov came over, and Sergey Makarov won Rookie of the Year at like 30 years old. Then he ate his way out of the NHL, as Senior likes to say. <laughs> um, just ate a lot. Um, but I just, you know, two different eras doesn't mean that all players in one era represent that culture, right? I mean, I don't know. Take Matthew Kachuk and throw him back in the 90s. Just for one example, I don't think his game would suffer. People adapt. And a top athlete's a top athlete. Joe Thornton, if he's still going, 
This game's supposed to be so much faster, and he's a dinosaur. Thornton was never fast. Do you, do you remember? I don't remember it. I remember him being the best passer almost the, the, his entire career. I remember him being big. I remember him getting a few fights. Wasn't quite as physical now because he's a team player and he wants to chip in. But he was all he always had a streak. People saying that this is new. I, I don't that doesn't jive with me. And I watched him a lot because my buddy Ryan Clo was playing in in uh, San Jose for uh with, with Joe for a long time. And Joe came Jumbo came over here to Newfoundland to visit a charity golf tournament. Great fella. You know, he adapted. I mean Jerome McGinley, the epitome of big, tough all round, you know, 90s, early 2000s forward. I mean, he played till just a few years ago. So how are these guys doing it? I don't give a shit what you say. I played against Valerie Bure. I played against uh, Sergei Fedorov. Pavel Bure. These guys, Scotty Niedermeyer, you want to start naming defensemen. Coffee, like... These guys are bullets. Paul Coffey would only... Sergei Fedorov with today's rules. Jesus, he'd be one of the best players in the league. Think about it. But people lump it all together like everybody back then was meat and potatoes. Shane Corson, or my guest today, uh is in the top 30 penalty minutes ever. He's got 2,400 almost. I think he's, uh, I don't think I know, he's number 29 on the list. But here's a guy, 29 all-time penalty minutes, and, and went eighth overall, World Junior All-Star, a Canada Cup, and played in the Olympics in Nagano. But the era was big on power forward, so of course dropped his gloves. He'd probably have to adapt today. But don't tell me he wouldn't play in the NHL. I, I just can't hear that shit. The game has changed. But so has equipment, training, all that shit. I don't give a... I really, there's no way to prove it other than me just pointing out that there's guys that are still playing from that era that are in their 40s. Uh, but just go back and do your homework. If you're born in the 90s or 2000s and you're listening to this and you're curious, you know, go back and watch Pavel Bure's goals, Sergei Fedorov. You'll know who Datsuk is, I guess. He's kind of a liaison between the eras. Uh, but I could go on and on. Paul Coffey, Mike Medano. There's a smooth player. Of course, I'm not going to go on and on because I'm going to forget somebody. But, you know, these players were magical players. And if, if Mike Medano played most of his career with no red line and no hooking and holding, well, I don't know. Like, you, you, you're probably going to rate Patrick Kane as a number one American ever. Well, I think if Medano played with the... And I love Patrick Kane, by the way. Love, 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 love. So there's no knocking him in any way here. I'm just saying... Very, very similar to Mike Medano. Think about it. Think about Mike Medano skating up the ice. Think about the way he approached it. Think about his speed. Think about when he had the puck and how he'd like to carry it up the ice and the power play whenever and then make a play. Very, very similar. Kane, I think, has a little bit better hands. He's quicker hands. Medano is every bit as fast. 
And I don't know. With with new rules, I'm just saying that these players were and are good. Um. Oh, and I know I advertise on here that I got an eight, an eight by tens to throw in with my personalized copy of the book, but uh, it's five by sevens now. I ran out of the eight by tens, but I got some St. John's Maple Leafs promotional ones, and I even have some uh, old cards left, junior cards. So I'll throw those in, obviously, uh, with the book. I just wanted to say that because uh, I ran out, and I like to be a man of my word. So it's uh, a five by seven now, not an eight by ten. Uh, lastly, I got to say it, it was downtown last weekend, had a few beers, gotten a couple of arguments on the door. So I apologize to you guys. I mean, on the door at TJ's, this is what happens, right? When I have a few beers in me, I like to have fun. I might do something silly, like get on stage, rip my shirt off, sing a song or something, but usually, or like start a chant to everybody, but it's usually all in fun. But I do start beacon, right? And I don't mean I initiate it. I'm not one of those guys to start an altercation. Or, but if someone starts one with me, and I, I'm, I don't mean physical at all. I, I get it. I always have. Like, I'm drunk. I shouldn't be fighting now. Unless I'm with Aaron Asham and shit went down. <laughs> but I really am not at all. Like, the opposite of violent when I drink. I'm, I'm aware that this could go wrong. The chances are it's going to go bad before it goes good. But I do chirp. So anyway, there was a guy and a girl and uh, kind of chirping me because what I do, I, I like to go over to Green Sleeves, watch across the street from TJ's and then come back. But where it's COVID um, rules, like it should be, you know, we, we only got half capacity. So if I'm leaving for a couple minutes, I'll say to the bouncer, hey, Anthony, look, I'm going to leave. I'm coming back. Can you keep it a couple of under capacity so I can get back here with a buddy? Because, again, we can't. And people are texting me. The hardest part of running a bar, the hardest part by a landslide is at nighttime when people are texting you to get in, especially during this. Like, maybe, maybe back in the day, boys, I'd let you in the fire exit and we could go in the back or something and have beers and have a chat. But I just can't. Nobody can. Right? It's why risk a $30,000 fine so Johnny drinks a lot, can come on in the back door into TJ's. It just doesn't make sense. I love you guys. I love you. And I get them. I get dozens every weekend. I can't do it. So anyway, what I do, if someone's like at me, at me, especially if it's a friend, I'll go like, uh, Anthony, I'm leaving. Just make sure that there's, I forget, I think our capacity is 65. Can you make sure there's 60, 60 to 62? Until I get back, because there's a lineup and I feel bad, but I don't have to say much. Really, I can just open the door and go in, but I hate skipping line, even when I manage the place. So I just always look at the line. I'm like, sorry, guys, if you see me when you come in, maybe we can have a shooter or something. I'll get you a drink. But I, I, you know, these are these guys were in here all day, which is normally the case. It was that last weekend and we just stepped out. Now we're coming back. Normally people are cool with that. But anyway. One girl's right away. You fucking prick, Terry Ryan. And she proceeded. Anyway, I took it. I took it. And, and then I unloaded and uh, nothing too bad. But, you know, you can picture me ready to chirp, ready to heckle. Anyway, I ended up leaving because it was a bit of an issue. And she got in and had a good time. I'm glad uh, with her friend there. And I'm not sure what your names are. And I know that uh, the staff at TJ's treated you well. But, um, you know. I, I maybe didn't need to heckle, and I apologize for that. Uh, and that's it. One day, one day, um, 
if if I ever end up laying off the booze completely, that'll probably be why. It's the smart mouth. It's the smart mouth. And it seems fun at the time, but I often wake up the next day and I'm like, you know, even when I'm razzing my buddies, you know, yeah, you step over the line. You know what it's like? A lot of people listen to this are hockey players. You know, in the room afterwards, you razz the boys a bit, right? and then you have a beer or two, and it gets a little, you know, it starts getting about your girlfriend or your mom or whatever. And then, not that I went there, but, you know, and then it starts getting like, you know, you're digging deep. You're digging deep. So, anyway, that's my flaw when I drink is the uh, the 13-year-old mouth comes out on me. Anyway. That's that. Uh, okay. I'm going to take a little break here. We got Shane Corson volume two. Why volume two? Honestly, guys. So I had him on the summer. If you don't know, if you just started listening to it, uh, to my podcast and, um, it was great. And I just, I know course so well. So I'm like, I could have asked him a thousand other things. So what I've done now, I posted there a few days ago that course was going to come on and I mentioned it on one of my stories. So I got about 25 questions from fans, and I got some things that I wanted to know in the past. So this is going to be a lighthearted little uh, interview with Course. We're not going to go chronological order about his career, if you were wondering, like I normally do and like I did last time. We've been there, done that. We're just going to get right into questions like, you know, here's a couple I got. Uh, playing with Eric Lindros, the 91 Canada Cup must have been uh an unbelievable experience that comes from mark in regina uh, for example right so and it was eric lindros was a 19 year old and I, I mean i would start with gretzky and winning the canada cup but anyway we're going to find all about that why does he wear number 27 uh what was it like to be a world junior all-star there you go i'm just reading some of your questions i'm gonna add some of mine shane the hammer corson coming right up Ladies and gentlemen, my next guest is a veteran of 1,156 NHL games, amassing almost 700 points and a staggering 2,357 penalty minutes in that span, landing him in the top 30 NHLers of all time in that category. Incredibly, the man known for his pugilism on and off the ice was also a three-time NHL All-Star and was selected to represent Canada four times at the 1991 Canada Cup, the 1998 Nagano Olympics, 1985 and 86 World Junior Tournament, where he also picked up an All-Star selection in 1986. Selected eighth overall in the 1984 NHL entry draft by the Habs. He is known as one of the most complete players ever and amazingly wore a captain's letter for three different Canadian teams for at least one game, putting him in select company in that category, to say the least. He is a dedicated dad, a wild winger, an awesome all-star, a proud parent, a brilliant businessman, a Crescent Street curiosity, a Montreal <laughs> mad dog. Now he's a dad dog, and he was never a puck hog. He can match whips and drop the mitts. He's got nothing to hide, and he likes to go short side. You like to hear about days of glory? Well, wait till you hear this dude tell a story. After games, our gang would go to Shane's and hang, but we can't really explain everything that happened at Shane's. He'd settle lots of beefs when he played for the Leafs. I like to watch movies by Wells, Mr. Orson. Folks, please welcome my buddy, Shane the Hammer Corson. There it is, Corson. I'm improving hey. on your intros. Oh, my God, TR. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. It's always, uh, it's always fun and interesting to catch up with uh, one of my favorite guys that I ever played with, even though it wasn't a long time. Uh, it's always fun to catch up with you and see you. <laughs> me too buddy um listen thanks for doing this again and i'm not even going to touch on the covid i know you guys are having a time with it and i appreciate you doing this i said it in the summer when we had when we last spoke at least 
Well, we speak, of course, what, four times a week. But yeah. <laughs> when we last spoke <laughs> on air, and I wanted to get you back. So what we're going to do, I had like, between last time and the other day, I put on a story, you were going to come on. So I got like 25 uh, fan questions, and I'm yep. going to mix some of mine in, and then we'll have a little wrap it round at the end. I shouldn't keep you for more than 45 minutes or an hour. Are we good? Sounds good, buddy. Okay, my man. The first question comes from Dan in Fort St. John. Why did you wear number 27? <laughs> I wore 27 because Daryl Sittler, I was a big Leaf fan growing up, uh, being from Barrie, just uh, north of Toronto here, 45 minutes from here. I love the Leafs. Uh, Daryl Sittler was one of my favorite players. And I wore nine in junior, and I don't think I was getting nine in Montreal, buddy. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I decided to pick up uh, – oh, I started with 34, actually, but then uh, 34, and then I decided to move to 27. I, I loved Sittler. I thought he was a – good two-way hockey player and I love the Leafs growing up so that's why I went with 27. That's wild so listen when you did go to the Leafs was that a homecoming did that factor in the decision I know some of this and I know it did a yeah. little bit but how much did that factor in? <clears throat> it uh it factored in a lot to be honest TR I mean my mom was still in Barrie my sister Patty was still in Barrie uh Shannon was living in Toronto as she's married to Darcy so uh, it, it played into it a lot. I wanted to come home and be close to family and friends. Uh, it was a tough decision, to be quite honest with you. I loved playing in Montreal. I was there for 10 years. They're the organization that gave me uh, the opportunity to play in the league and uh, great, great organization, great history, and great, great people around the team, too. All the old timers are around all the time, all the alumni. And, and you know, obviously, Montreal's a great city to have fun in. I mean, I loved, uh, loved the city. And uh, you mentioned a couple of the streets that we uh, spent some time on, but uh, it was a tough decision. But um, in the end, yeah, I was just coming home to close to my, my family and, and some friends. I know the culture in Canada. Like, I know I played for the Leafs farm team and, you know, being up in Montreal. And I know that a lot of it is going to restaurants after. A lot of it, you know, you, you have some beers, but a lot of it in, in those places are restaurants. You might go to the club afterwards. Is, were you the same way when you played in St. Louis and Dallas, et cetera? Yeah, I didn't change too much, TR. I didn't think so. <laughs> I mean, I enjoyed, for me, I love the game of hockey, but the part that I love the most, and I know you do too, and that's why we get along so well, is we love, we love being in the dress room together with our teammates and then being out, uh, having a few pops, telling stories and creating new stories and just having fun and just acting like normal guys. So we didn't look at ourselves as, uh, you know, uh, anything different than just a normal person. I love playing a game and uh, got paid to do it. So, um, yeah, my, my, uh, my, uh, on ice and off ice never changed, no matter what uh, what city I was was playing in. Uh, Phil in Detroit wants to know this. Well, he, he wants to know what Bob Probert, how tough he was in junior. So I guess what he's referring to, for those that don't know, Shane played in Brantford for the Alexanders uh, in the 80s. That was an OHL team. And Bob Probert had almost 80 points, which you almost got to do a double take. But Probert scored a lot in junior, right, didn't he? He was, he was the yeah. full package. He sure was. I mean, I was lucky enough. Uh, our team, uh, I was drafted by the Brantford Alexanders, and we actually moved after my first year to Hamilton. Our owner, uh, Jack Roblard, great man. Uh, he he tried to get a deal done with the Brantford uh, city, but it didn't work out, so he moved to Hamilton. And uh, luckily for me, when I got to, uh, to uh, Brantford, my first year, I had uh, Bob Probert on my left wing for the full season. Jesus. And then my second season, I had him on my line uh, for the first half. And then we traded him like uh, Bill of Forge came in. Dave Draper got fired. Bill of Forge came in and decided to trade Proby to uh, the Sioux. And we played the Sioux. It doesn't Sioux. seem like a move LaForge would make. No, I was shocked. We got two, we got two pretty crazy guys back though, but, um, well, Troy Crowder was there, wasn't he? 
Yeah, Troy Crowder was there. And we, we got Sam Hady and Johnny English back, who were both two nut bars and tough as nails. They could both play a pretty good game. But I was shocked they traded Proby. And we had to play him, I don't know, 12 or 16 times, something stupid. But Bobby Probert was uh, just a – unbelievable hockey player and one of the toughest if not the toughest guy I ever played hockey with and uh he was just a teddy bear off the ice so god rest his soul he's gone now but I mean I was you know so lucky to have him on my left side just gave me so much more room and, and time to, to, to play my game and then obviously I didn't mind dropping the gloves too and he taught me a lot on that side and I had Todd Francis another guy that got drafted by the Montreal Canadiens the year before I did in the second round but he got an eye injury in a brawl in Belleville so um, he never was the same player and never that and couldn't, uh, make his way, uh, to, uh, to Montreal or to even the American league. So it was unfortunate, but he was a hell of a player too. And he was just as tough as Proby. That's scary because those two guys in my wing, I was, uh, created a lot of room for me and gave me a lot of space, but Bobby was just an amazing person. Like I always say that he was a great hockey player and he was probably the toughest guy I played with and one of the toughest to play in the NHL. But for me, it's about what, what type of people they are and what, what kind of person they are. And he was just a great, great teammate. Uh, great friend off the ice. And uh, like I said, he helped me with my, uh, the start of my career and, and um, taught me a lot and just, uh, just was a solid, solid person, but a hell of a, and had unbelievable hands. Like he could, I think the year that I played them, he got close to 80, 80 points and was over 25 goals. Yeah, man. He scored 30 in, in the NHL in his uh, second or third year. Um, of course, I know that Probert likes to ride motorcycles and I know that you do. Yeah. Did you guys ever do it together? No, we never did it together. I mean, that was before I really got into it. Bobby was into it for a long time. He was from Windsor, and I think his whole family were into riding. I just read his book, brother. and I didn't realize how much he was into it. Yeah, I mean, he was yeah. heavy into it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he was. He was in. He was into shitting on hood of cars too. Terry Dr. <laughs> he shitting the hood of my car. My first day at training camp, they came Come in a camel. Well, tell bit. me that again. I you told me this. Tell me again. I forgot. Yeah. I mean, it was my. It was our first day at training camp. I think it was my first day, but it was during training camp, anyways, and. I showed up with a new car, a newer car. I, I maybe it was a little bit, my parents had got it for me. They wanted me to have a car to get around in, in town, but maybe it wasn't the best thing to do the, you know, the first couple of weeks at camp, maybe I should have just left the car at home. And I think they thought maybe I was a little bit uh, cocky because of it, but I wasn't, I just did my business. So I was on the ice, but they thought they'd teach me a lesson. And uh, Franny and, and uh, probably decided to have a shit in the hood of my car in the middle of the summer. Cause training camp in junior was in August. So it was, boiling hot and they oh, got up the hood yeah. of my car and it came out and there was a big dump in the hood of my car but you know whatever and i I'm and then i thought oh i'm gonna get that whoever did that i'm gonna get him get him right then i found out it was probing and friend i said I'll, I'll clean it myself i have no problem boys i'll do it myself it's, it's funny being, how they end up being my wingers left wing and right wingers but yeah it's pretty cool but you know i never got the chance to ride uh with him i know he, i think they still do that uh, motorcycle ride to raise money too for one of his causes or a few of his causes i think his wife still still does it but yeah he was a uh, he was really into the motorcycles and cars too. He had a big, an old Mustang fastback that he loved. Uh, was, uh, you know, a fixer upper. He got it and was still uh, working on it. I remember in junior, there was like uh, all kinds of things wrong with it, but it was the coolest car ever. And I know that he worked, was working on it slowly. And I, I think he ended up fixing it right up. It was a, just a beautiful old Ford Mustang fastback. So Simon in Grand Prairie heard your interview on Spit and Chicklets. And I liked his question. Do you think your dad would have been on social media? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> can, you, uh, can you imagine hey, him with a selfie stick? No, TR, never. You, uh, I, I can't believe that I'm on social media as much as I am now. But I mean, to be honest, I never was on it much. I wasn't, I didn't care for it a whole lot. But with the pandemic, it's a way to stay in touch with friends. And 
see what they're doing. And, and then now in this day and age to, to get anything across and, and use your platforms to help people, it's the, the only way to do it, especially during a pandemic. But I actually kind of have fun on the Instagram now. I kind of enjoy it. So well, you get, th- get to do things like this. You get to do things like this, buddy. You've got a personality. I think I know some guys are like real old school and I'm like, you know, I just can't see them ever. I'm like on yeah. social media. Correct me if I'm wrong, like Odie or like Lalo line. And the, I just, I just can't see. But the thing is your character, you're like almost, <laughs> uh, you know, you're like a liaison between those eras. Cause you'd okay. have a bit of fun with it now. I know you would. Right? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I would. I mean, but he's right. My dad would never be on social media. He's old school. TR, you're t- what you're talking about. He was old school. He did. Uh, well, I know how tough you grow up. I only heard stories, but I mean, you know, you, you grew up, uh, you're old school. You, you were, you were, you were knocking, you were chucking knuckles off the ice quite a bit. Oh yeah. <laughs> with him, <laughs> with, him <laughs> on my t- with him and my two, uh, my two uncles quite a bit, actually with, you know how it is in smaller towns. Like, Barry was only about 27,000 people TR when I left. Now it's like 150. It's grown so much. It's so close to Toronto and close to cottage country and close to the ski hills. If you're going to call them ski hills in Ontario. And, uh, but when I was there, it was a small town. So it was like, we got into a beef with the Murphy family and the Lawson family. And that went on for years. So it was, you know, us and my, me and my, my dad and my two uncles against their family. And it was pretty crazy at times, but. Indirectly. Do you think that helped you with your on ice uh, pugilism? <laughs> I think so. I mean, I think I, you know, I, I learned a little few tricks uh, here and there. And, you know, like I mentioned Bobby Probert though, and Chris Nyland, when I got to Montreal, you know, I first was fighting in off the ice and on the ice. I would just throw and throw as fast as I could and as many as I could and do whatever I could to win, win a fight. Right. And then when I got to Montreal, uh, Chris Nyland actually pulled me aside and said, you're going to get hurt, which I did. I broke my jaw my first year in junior, but I mean, my first year pro actually in Montreal, but he taught me to be a little bit more defensive and showed me things, but definitely the off ice stuff uh, taught me a few things. And I mean, I was scared every time I got into a fight, whether it was on the ice or, or off the ice, to be honest. And I think that helped me too. Um, I mean, if you're not a little bit afraid, there's probably, it's not, uh, something, something's not uh, ticking probably properly. I totally agree. A lot of people don't admit that, but I'm saying, Jesus, how? Like you, exactly. uh, otherwise, how can you be on your toes? Uh, 1986 right. World, World Junior Tournament. You lead the scoring. I never asked you this. Who was on your line? Um, and you won it then, right? Did you guys win it in 85 or 86? No, we won it in 85 um, okay. that year. And then in 86, uh, we, we, we got a silver medal. We actually ended up losing to the Russians. Uh, we lost 4-1. There was a, I think there was a one or two empty net goals. It was still it was closer than one it seemed. But, uh, yeah, we won the silver medal, which was very disappointing, obviously being in, in Hamilton, my, my junior town, where, where I played junior in front of all my – my hometown fans and stuff, but obviously being in Canada too, we had all the, the whole country behind us. So it was pretty disappointing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it was Joe Murphy and I actually, or I think Murph yeah. had 14 points also, or. Yeah. You had 13. more goals. So yeah. You, you were, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think he, he had 14 or 13, but I mean, yeah, I think I had one more goal than him or something like that, whatever it was. I had great teammates. We, we moved around quite a bit. I mean, I played with Newendike a bit, Joy Newendike. I played with Murph a little bit. Uh, Jimmy Sandlack was playing there at the time. Yeah. Um, we, we, we had a solid team. I mean, you know, almost, you would almost say, cause the way it turned out with the players that made it to the NHL from that team, I think there was more from that team that actually played in the NHL than from the team that we won, but we just seemed to gel over in Finland really well. And, and, and unfortunately we, we had a bit of a, not our best game against the Russians and, and on paper, I thought our team the year we lost was maybe a better team. You could say that, but I mean, maybe not. I think, 
the team that we had in, in Finland really came together really good. We were cold. I think it helped in a way kind of being in Europe yeah. and just being together all the time. There was no distractions. There was no family or friends around. We, we just spent the whole time together. So I think that does help, but it does help having the fans behind you too. The, the, the building was packed, but I mean, yeah, I was lucky enough to, to, you know, play with some great players that tournament. And uh, I got played a lot, obviously played in the power play and killed penalties and played a ton being my second world junior role to, uh, the coaching staff. I think it was Terry Simpson. He played the, played the crap out of me. So that helps too. And then when you play with good teammates, I mean, uh, it's, it's, it makes it a lot easier. And playing on the power play, right? Go stand in front of that and bash in rebounds and deflect them in. And it's, you know, it's not, it's a lot, it's a lot easier. You know that TR, you got well, the yes. opportunity. You, you are being humble, but I know what you mean playing that game. And, uh, but you had balls, right? You had to go there and you had the balls to do it. Uh, of course. Yeah. And, and some, some of your stats, you don't talk about it much, but leading the world junior is a big deal as is, as is playing for team Canada. So now Canada cup 91. Yep. Now, uh, one of the questions was about playing with Lindros, which I, I keep forgetting about that. Lindros was a junior. Yep. He's a junior player, which I forgot the storyline. I don't know how though. I was that age. And I remember watching he's playing in Oshawa gets drafted, puts the Jersey. I don't want to go to Quebec for those reasons. I'm not knocking them, whatever they were. So be it, but he doesn't yep. go. So in a weird situation, this guy's playing in Maple Leaf Gardens in the Canada Cup in September, and in yeah. November he's playing in Oshawa. Yeah. So I don't. If you think about that level of, I don't want to say pressure, but fame. I get like it was every bit Connor McDavid. How did Lindros react in the room? That's a great question from Mark in St. John. How did he react in that room? Was was, was you know he's a rookie playing in the Canada Cup. Yeah, you know, yeah. not an NHL team. No, he's. Um, I mean, Biggie. I've known Biggie for years. I mean, I knew him from from that time. I knew him before that, actually. Um, he was quiet. He was quieter. He went about his business. He worked hard in practice. Worked hard uh, when we were in the gym. I mean, there wasn't as much training back in those days as there is nowadays. Obviously, you know that too. It's just mm. progressed over the years. But he was quiet. But he worked his tail off and was a leader by example. And you could tell he was going to be a leader down the road too. He just worked so hard on in practice and and did his stuff that he needed to do in the gym. But he was quiet and and uh, very 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 humble. And, uh, you know, looked up to all the guys and really took in everything from like guys like Gretzky and Messi, as I did. I was only 25 years old at the time. There was a bunch of us. I think Courtney was young and yeah. a couple of other guys were pretty young there, too. And we were just taking it all in. I mean, I got a chance to play with uh, with uh, Gretzky and Larmer on a line. Larmer was my roommate. And that's, that's the year they had 66 guys come in. So Biggie didn't just get invited and he was on the team. He had to come in and earn a spot and make the team. They point. I didn't know that course. I didn't know how it worked. I thought they just picked yeah. it. No, that, that year was the only year I think that they did it because after they did it and then there was a bunch of cuts that, you know, there was a lot of, yeah, a lot of people got cut that, that uh, were unbelievable great players and various they could have been on that team. Eiserman being one of them, and then he's been one of the best Canadian hockey players and Team Canada players ever, but he got cut that year. But he had to come in and earn a spot, and he did. He worked hard and played great, and he, he was just humble. I remember him. He would just take everything in and listen, and, and, and we all did as young players. Like, he was extra young, and it was just crazy, but he was a man. He was already a man. He was only 18 years old. He was a man. He was built like, he was like huge. He was like a man. He just, his hands and everything about him. And he was just so, so talented and such a great player. I mean, he, he's in the hall of fame and he deserves it. And he would have had unbelievable, incredible numbers if he wouldn't have got hurt the way he did. He was just an incredible hockey player. And he's a good person, but you're right. The fame and he gets knocked sometimes because he's cut more to himself and quieter, but it's, it, you know, what can you do? Like, look at Gretzky. I, I spent a lot of time with Wayne, the 91 Canada cup. And since then, I'm, good friends with him now and I see what these guys go through and, and it's hard not to try to 
get away and be on your own for a bit because you're totally always being surrounded by people and want people asking questions and wanting this and wanting that. And they've always, those two guys, and I've spent more time alone with Gretzkin, been around him since the game's been over. And he never says no or to an autograph or a pitcher. So it's got to get hard at times when you just want to get away and, and be on your own. But uh, he handled the, that unbelievable, especially for a young guy. And he, he handled it with, he was so mature at that time for his age because he's been probably dealing, he was dealing with that kind of fame since he was a young kid. So he was really good in the room and he earned his spot. Like I said, there were 66 guys that came to camp and a lot of great players got cut, but uh, he earned his spot and he, he was great in the room. And I, I actually got to play with him in a line in, in uh, the world championships, him and Paul Korea. And that's who I, and I played with him in the, in the, the Olympics in 98 was my, Lindros was my lineman. It was supposed to be Korea, but he got hurt. Uh, he got a concussion. Remember, Suter hit him, so he got a concussion. Yeah. He couldn't couldn't come. So they brought Brindamore and Mark Recchi uh, uh, along. Uh, they had them later on. But, yeah, so it's pretty cool. I got to play with Gretzky and, uh, and Big E, and the, they're obviously different types of players. They're both very skilled, but Big E was uh, big and strong, and just he run you over, and Gretzky just uh, outsmarted you and went around you and spun around you and did all kinds of things. But both great players and great people and great leaders. But now – I'm trying to wrap, put myself in your head in 1991. Yeah. You're 25, but but you've you've gone through in 1986 as a black ace and seen yep. them win win the Stanley Cup in Montreal. In '89, yep. you make it to Game Six. You yep. never win the Cup yourself. You can't no. get further than the fourth round. So you've seen the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs now twice, all the way to its fruition. You've seen it, and unlucky in 89 but it easily could have won a cup now you go to 91 now it's another pressure you're only 25 years old but all that experience does that take away the nerves of playing with wayne gretzky because i can't imagine <laughs> if i went into a practice hey you know what terry you're with gretzky today I, I'd, I'd be going okay like am i going to give it to him every single time i have it am i going to overemphasize and i know i would how was that with you or did you already you know was that fine I mean, the experience in 86 being there was pretty cool. I was actually supposed to play uh, in the 86 playoffs, but I got hurt my last year of junior, my last game of junior, actually. Oh. I got hurt. So I was supposed to play, but I couldn't. So I just came up and hung around and watched, like you said, it was a great experience. I was happy for the guys. And then 89, we're up two games to one and we should have won. We're the first, hate to say it, the Montreal Canadian team to lose the cup in the forum. So it was pretty rough and pretty, that was probably one of the worst moments of my hockey career. I mean, seeing them carry the cup around was pretty tough. I, I can't watch Anybody carry I love how you describe it before you go further. Yeah. Because that's how a hockey player thinks. Meanwhile, oh, yeah. you've just made the Stanley Cup final. That's right. <laughs> you know, there's people going mad. <laughs> but I know, I know. That's exactly how a hockey player thinks. Right? And even when I watch the, the Stanley Cup final now, when the team wins it, I don't watch them give the cup out and carry the cup around. I can't do it. Yeah. I, can, I can't I do can, it. Yeah. I, I mean, it's just because something we've all, as hockey players growing up, no matter what level we played out, we dream of winning the Stanley Cup and carrying it around and kissing it. And when you haven't done, you can't watch somebody else do it. But getting back to your question, it did help in the fact that it, it, I was I played in some pressure, pressure situations, but nothing prepares you to walk into a dress room. And it was from day one. It was weird. We're 66. So they had three teams. And what we did is we played, we played scrimmages for the first four or five days and they'd slowly cut the guys. And then when they picked a team, we went up to Collingwood and spent some time up there. Actually, we, we spent time up there during the, the whole training camp actually where we did the scrimmaging and stuff and they slowly cut them down but the crazy thing is from day one i walked in the room and when i first got called i was kind of nervous and said to my dad me, me and i so i really I, I wasn't sure if i really wanted to go i was nervous so nervous and uptight you know this is the best players in in canada right and my dad said just go you know you never know go for the experience and he was right so i went and i uh, walk in the dress room and i look at the line there's gretzky and larmer and I went, oh, my instant sweat, TR. <laughs> my arm, like sweating from my arm. Like I was just sweating from every area you could think of. Yeah. Putting, putting it, 
mildly everywhere. But anyways, um, <laughs> and then, so the funny thing is we go out and practice. I'm nervous. Like I'm, I'll be, I'm shitting my pants. Like it's Wayne Gretzky, man. <laughs> like, so we're going down. It's uh, three on two. He makes some crazy pass me. I got a wide open net. And you, you probably heard this story, but I miss it. I just completely heal. It goes off my heel into the corner. It's like, it's like I dumped a puck in the corner. I had a wide open net. And I thought, oh my God, I'm cut. I'm done. I'm off his line. I'm done. I'm going to cut right after practice, right? And you know what, how he is. He just skates over and says, don't worry about it, kid. You'll have lots more of those. And from that day, that time on, I became really close with Gretz and good friends with him. And him and Janet just were so good to me during the Canada Cup and, and my parents. Like they took my parents and me and my mom and my dad out for dinner like uh, every other night almost while we were during, during uh, the training camp. And then, you know, obviously when we got into camp, we just did everything as a team. Once we got into the tournament time, we, we did everything as a team. We're together all the time. But he was just amazing. And then actually had a couple of roommates over the course of the training camp. Uh, Adam Oates was one of them, great guy. But then once the team was picked, my roommate was Steve Larmer. And uh, what a what a one of the most underrated players ever. I loved uh, watching him. You know what, Tr? I say it to everybody. They ask me, and, and for me, hands down, uh, he Larms is one of the most underrated players ever played a game. He could kill penalties, unbelievable on the power play, and he was strong and tough. He, he didn't have to fight. You don't have to fight. We know that. We both fought. We we yeah. kind of was part of our game, and we kind of enjoyed it. He didn't have to fight. He was just strong in the puck, hard in front of the net, hard in the corners, and played hard. Yeah. And was tough mentally, man. No situation. He was just so calm. He went to the hard Although, areas. Yeah, yeah, and then and then, but just he was so calm too. He was just so relaxed, like nothing got to him. And that's something he helped me with during the during the tournament. Is he was so calm, he brought me down because I'm more hyper and uptight and nervous, and he just yeah. brought me down. The only thing is, I had to get my own room partway through the tournament because he was smoking like a chimney, man. He He's always smoking here. darts or, or chewing yeah. bubble gum. Always. Chewing, always. I, went, I called my parents. Like, I remember it was like, it's, I could, could get to take a razor blade and cut the smoke. It was so smoky. <laughs> I remember calling my mom and dad and saying, you know, can, we get, can you come down and spend a couple of days and get a room so I could stay in it for a few days? <laughs> the, the, guy, the guy could skate. Like, at the Canada Cup. <laughs> That's a Help. Canada Cup. <laughs> I hey, got the most he, athletic thing happening in the world right now, and my roommate, who's a major player on the team, is smoking the place out. Buddy, he first thing when he wake up, he had a coffee delivered and he'd have a cigarette, man. And he, but he could skate forever. You've seen him skate. He skates yeah. like effortlessly. He could skate like the wind. And, and we did testing. That was one of the first times we I did real hard testing, uh, off ice testing, like the wind gate and all those things that we yeah. had to do, right? Later it on started in, in to my creep career. In, yeah, that yeah, was they started creeping in. That was one of the, the that's right. <laughs> I was kind of worried about that too, but he he killed that stuff too. It was crazy. He just killed it. So, did you have a favorite ref? Oh. Just a just a natural, natural. And that's what I remember, but he was just a great, just went to that part because he was an unbelievable roommate for me. Unbelievable. What? We're going to say. No, that's fantastic. Uh, um, I cut you off there by accident. Uh, don't worry. Uh, don't worry. It's all good, man. Did you have a favorite referee? No, I didn't know you because it's, it stopped for a second. Uh, do you have a favorite? Did you have a favorite referee? No, they, they didn't like me much either back in the day. TR. I was always, <laughs> <laughs> I was always trying to start something or get something going or, or chirping them or yipping at them. I mean, I wasn't always the nicest guy to, to referee, to be honest. Uh, that's you know, a great I, answer. That's an honest fucking answer. Yeah. That's an honest answer. They were, I'll tell you what, I got to know a lot of them uh, since I've been done playing and they're just, it was, they, they were un unbelievable, man. They put up with a lot with us. I mean, things have changed nowadays that, and the players can't get away with what we got away with and say what we said and, 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 you know, actually, you know, swear at the referees and give them shit and tell them they're terrible. Like all kinds of stuff we'd say. And you remember, Terry, even in your days, we would do it. And, always, they would just, and, yeah. and you know, they would give, they, they were kind of cool. They'd give it back to us. It was kind of funny. Like, well, I like that. Recruiter would give it back to us. Uh, 
uh, Fraser, even Fraser, you, you know, get chirp about his hair and he'd give it right back to you about something. Like they didn't care. They'd give it back to you. And I've, I've met all those guys since I uh, uh, started uh, doing like charity events and they, they give their time and do a lot of charity. So that's what I respect them for too. And, and then when I look back, I think, man, I was hard on you guys a lot of times and they'd laugh and they go, Oh yeah, but we give it right back in race. Capanello, one of the linemen was one of my, one of my favorite, favorite guys. I mean, I loved him. He was Scappy was a, just an unbelievable guy. And he, he knew how to, I don't know. He knew how to calm you down. You know how some people, they can get you where, and if they give it, give it back to you the wrong way, they, they fire you up even more and you're just yeah. more of a, more of an asshole to them on the ice. He just had a way of, of being calm and just, it just brought you down, calmed you down. He's just a, just a really super man. So think, thinking back, he would be one of my favorites for sure. Race Capanello. You know, and, and I asked that because I remember you know, a lot of people had referee stories about and had some chirps that would come back. And, and I, I, I think that that banter kind of culture is further and further away. I'm not sure that they do that as much now. I mean, I'm sure a little bit. But why? So in that sense, and then, you know, Kerry Fraser would go around with no helmet on and yep. they all had names. Do you know, this isn't a question for you and I'm just for my own knowledge, if, if you happen to know, why did they take the referees' names off their backs. They don't get any recognition as it is. I was no, like, God, right. now they're going around. We all got names on, and they're like number 62 with yeah. no name. I'm like, why would you want to at least give them that, at least give them recognition? They get shit on all game, all year, yeah, and lots of times for good reason, but they're doing it not to be malicious. I'm sure they're not trying to fuck one team no. over. So they're not. They're not. Why? You're, you're, you're right. You're right. They, 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 I mean, they, they, they're all, I got to be honest, since I've been down playing, I've realized I wish I wasn't so chirpy and yappy sometimes with them. I mean, I wasn't as bad as some guys. Uh, you got to temper. You're an athlete. That's the way it goes. Brother, They're in the line of fire. I get it. I don't think any. My brother-in-law. But not saying one of my brother-in-law. But, anyways, yeah. <laughs> but um, I don't. I, TR, that's an unbelievable question because I know I see some baseball teams and they don't have it on their their, their jersey. And I go, why, why don't they? But I, I, don't, I can only. I don't know. And I think they deserve the recognition. They do. And, yeah, if there's and, and anybody out there, they're, they're the ones being underappreciated and you're going to yes. take that now and just make them a yes. number. Well, that's what I was getting at about, about saying, that I look back, I think, God, I underappreciate those guys sometimes. I mean, I knew they had a tough job. They had probably had the toughest job of all of hockey to put up with us. And, you know, then they got to put up with the, the, the fans too. Right. And, and everybody else. And then they get judged by whoever's the boss of their, their organization. They, they think of one, they get looked at and talked to and, and, berated by them sometimes too. And I never really even knew that until later on in my career, they actually had something that did that to them, scored them every game. And can you imagine that? So no, yeah, I, I I, they deserve a lot more. And I, I just, maybe it's because they, maybe, maybe they wanted that themselves though, but maybe because, you know, fans can get pretty. Yeah. You never know. Pretty, pretty angry too. And they know their names and can find them at a hotel or where they live or whatever. You know what I mean? Like it, it can get pretty scary at times. I would imagine being a referee because uh, we've all heard different things of, referees get threatened and stuff so uh, maybe that would be a reason but i'm guessing i'm guessing yeah i'm guessing you know what i'm gonna have, i've never had a referee on i'm gonna do that this question comes from jeremy bishop in corner brook what was your shot clocked at and tell us about your first nhl goal two-parter <laughs> corner brook i love that i've been there a couple of times <laughs> yeah i had a time there what i remember of it anyway um well, my shot wasn't that hard. I think most of my goals came from about 10 feet out from the net and in, buddy. <laughs> so I never wanted anybody to clock at that. The, the, the three All-Star games I went to, I never did have to had to do that one. So Oh, yeah, it wasn't a thing. No, it wasn't a thing for me. I didn't know. It was a thing. I didn't get picked. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if I could. I mean, I got. I, got, I think I got chirp. Um, 
by somebody that uh, actually when my daughter did that saucer pass down at school, <laughs> they said they just definitely didn't get that from you. And then somebody else is chirping when my son was playing junior hockey because he had a pretty hard shot. And they said he definitely didn't get that from you. So I don't know what I'd be. I'd be clocked at, but it wouldn't be very high. You I'll didn't you shoot that. many slap shots, though. You were always no, you snapping. No. You'd pull it in and snapper. You know, I like the I like the snapper. I like to pull it in and snapper. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So. <laughs> anyway, like, but but I, you're right. I didn't, I didn't like I didn't like the I didn't like the slap. I didn't like the I didn't like this. I didn't slap shot. I didn't take slap shots hardly at all. And it wasn't. It, no, it just, I don't remember seeing you do it. No, I didn't do it very often. But horseshoe and warm up. That's it. That's right. <laughs> that's <laughs> it. Even I, I tried to put the picture in my head. I said I don't, I don't fucking know. I don't remember him shooting a slap shot. No, and and it was for good reason because it wasn't very hard. I don't think I could break a pane of glass, but. Um, and my first goal, uh, oddly enough, um, I believe, um, we, you know, how we live with families in junior hockey. Uh, I live with the Stefan family, uh, and they were amazing. I was so lucky to have my first year of junior hockey. I mean, they, I was, uh, I missed my parents and my sister so, so much at that time. Uh, but they took me in and treated me like uh, one of their family. There was, uh, three boys and one girl and two of the boys were away playing hockey. Greg Stefan played in Detroit. He was a goaltender. Yeah. And then one of the other boys, the older boy played over in uh, England somewhere at that time. And then Joy Stefan, the other boy, was, I think he was a year younger than me and was in, uh, end up being with the, uh, the Hamilton organization, actually. And I played with him a few games in junior. And then there was a daughter, Steph. They were just incredible to me. But uh, funny thing is, I scored my first goal against Greg Stefan. He played, uh, he played Detroit and I scored the goal there. And it was uh, nothing pretty. I didn't go down the wing and take a hard slap shot in the top corner. I didn't go end to end and beat five guys. I, I think I came around behind the net and, tried to wrap it around and it hit a couple of skates and went, went in the net. But I told everybody it was end end top shelf. I'll tell was you it, that. was it where, um, where was the game? It was in Detroit. In Detroit. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. But, you, you, but, you said that I didn't know. I yeah. knew it was against Detroit. Um, but it wasn't worst pretty, injury that you've think. played with. Worst injury that I've played with. Oh my God. I mean, now um, this is a weird question because you played with colitis as well. Right. And that ain't good. You know, I'm sure that yeah. wears your body down. Yeah, colitis was uh, was tough to play with for sure. I mean, I would have got drafted as an underage uh, player, but I got I actually got diagnosed when I was 15 with the colitis. So I lost about 15, 20 pounds that year and just didn't have the energy um, that I normally had. So uh, back then they had to take you in, at a certain uh, number, a certain level, I think second or third round. And I think they've obviously changed it now. But, um, but to be honest, I think, um, I was pretty lucky compared to a lot of people that suffer with colitis. Like I, I had my bouts over the years and had to miss, you know, certain practices and, and, and things because of the, the colitis, but uh, I was pretty lucky compared to a lot of other people. TR, I was, uh, had some good uh, doctors and, and the medication that I was put on, I was taking 16 pills at, at, at the start when I first started the pills, like ho uh, horse pills, 16 of them a day. And then I slowly got off them. And now I just take two to maintain for maintenance reasons. But I, I would say probably, I mean, we've all played with tons of injuries. Like I can't think of a hockey player that hasn't played with a, a, an injury, but for me, it would probably be um, broken ribs. I mean, I broke my ribs in the playoffs when we were playing Boston. I, I got to tell you, that was probably one of the toughest ones. You know, they froze us and you know how we, we did the yeah. back of the day, just give you a needle and some Advil or Tylenol, or whatever it is and said, get back out there. But I would say that broken ribs for sure. Cause every time you breathe or move, it, it affected you. Right. You couldn't really hey, man. do much. I didn't know. Play. Yeah. That's yeah, a hard one to fucking play with. Yeah, played with played. We were playing Boston in the in the playoffs that year, so that was a tough one. Um, you know, playing with a, a broken foot. Uh, but see, with that tr, that's kind of 
you know that too. And we all know that and doctors would know that you, you can have a broken foot, but if it's like a hairline fracture and it's on a bone, that's not weight bearing or anything like that. It's not that bad. Right. You, you, In a skate, not, it's not. Cause you're, I find that right. certain injuries, you know, I play ball hockey too. And certain, I, I would never be able to run, but I'm like, in a skate, it's kind of in there. There you go. And once it's in there, I can kind of just without, I can manipulate right. it without having to tweak the injury. Right. That's right. That's exactly what I was going to say. Once I got my foot in the boot and got on the ice, I wasn't pounding on it. You're more gliding skating. So it wasn't as bad. So I would definitely say the, uh, you know, I, I played, played a few games of lacrosse when I was younger with a broken collarbone. I didn't know it was broken. My dad told me it was a bruise. He said, get out there and play. You're fine. Don't lay on the, the, the floor too. He told me, he goes, don't lay on the floor. Get up, get up, <laughs> get up. And get play. up. <laughs> so I ended up, but then it was getting worse and bothered me. So I went back and, uh, got the x-ray. Uh, that was when I was a lot younger. I think it was 12 or 13. So I played with a broken collarbone for a couple of games, but again, it might've been just a hairline. I can't remember exactly how bad it was. It just depends how bad they are too. Right. But that for sure, for sure. The, uh, we've all played with injuries and I mean, uh, that's part of the game. That's what makes it fun too for us. We love what's, it. Yeah. What's the worst injury you saw anybody else play with? Not oh, against man. on your team, or I mean, it could be against, but you know, Bob, Bob Ganey played played. He played with a separated shoulder. I remember. I uh, fucking played, heard this. Yeah, he played with a separated shoulder. Uh, he had a, a brace. He wore a brace where his like his arm was like pulled right to his his body, and and he couldn't. So he couldn't. He couldn't lift his arm up like this. Wow. And he couldn't like go like that. Like we like to do a lot. What, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was that but in the 86 playoffs? He, yeah. He was in the playoffs. Um, he, I mean, I've seen so many guys play with so many like injuries. Like, I mean, Chelios played half his career with no one of his ligaments missing in his knee. Like, I don't know which one it was. I'm not a doctor or anything, but the guy played, but he was just so in shape and, 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 and strengthen his legs so much he could play with it. But so it wasn't even that painful anymore, but yeah, I would say Bob Ganey, um, playing with a separated shoulder, man. And he had that, that brace on that just kept his arm. I don't know how he played with it, to be honest. Like not even the injury, just having his arm glued to his side. How do you do that? Like, how do you, and getting hit and playing the way he played. Right. So I'd say Bob getting with the, the separated shoulder. Um, but I know so many guys that play with. Asking you know, that question to someone so who played injuries. in the eighties and nineties and thousands yeah. is a tough one because man, so many people played in everybody. I, I can't, I can't. Pump. That's right. I can't, I can't even imagine back in the, in the 80s, especially 90s, 2000s, it started changing a bit, TR, to be honest. For, mm. for, I started seeing changes where guys wouldn't play as much with injuries, so they, they felt that. And the team was part of it, too. Players changed a bit, and they didn't want to uh, you know, sacrifice and maybe lose a bunch of years in the NHL, which I understand totally. Back in our day, we just wanted to keep playing. We were afraid we were going to get sent to the minors or, or, or you know, sat out for the rest of the season, whatever. Like, we were afraid to lose our jobs. We played through whatever. Nowadays, it's a little bit different. And, and not only the players, although the teams take care of them more because it's, it's a more of a business now. There's so much money that these guys are making, there, and they invest so much money, and they don't want them to go out and get hurt and they have a guaranteed contract for the next five, six, seven years, and they can't play again. So they're more careful uh, with the injury side of it, too, and don't want to push them as, as, as the way we did in the, in the past. Because back in the day, everybody pretty much made about the same amount of money. So if you weren't able to play, like – okay, you're out. We're bringing the next guy in to do the job. But, um, and the player's mentality back then was, yeah, just get out there and play, especially during the playoffs. There was a level of guilt too. So many people were doing it. There was a level of guilt. Of course. You'd be afraid to be the one guy. But fuck, you know, I remember thinking, unless I can't, I literally can't do it. Broken ribs might be the case, but unless unless I can't, they're paying me. They're paying me. And I go out, like, I wouldn't even often you know, again, on a relative level, but, but I think that was the case for pro hockey players in general back then was, you know, 
you, you play if you can. If you can oh, play, absolutely. you're going to go. Right? You can, if, you can, if you can get out there and do your job, even 80%, you're going to go out there and do it. And you're right. There was guilt there. If you've seen, you, you got an injury and it's pretty bad, but you see somebody else out there playing hard and, and playing injured, you're going, oh, I got to be able to do it too. And, and there's also the fact, like I said, if you don't get out there, they're going to throw somebody in and they might play outstanding and take your job. So there's always a bit of, of, of that too. There was always a bit of everything, but I mean, it's just, it was the way we were as it's just the way we were built. We just get out there and if we can do it, we're going to play with it. And it's, uh, it's just the way we were. Um, no, definitely. Now I also, okay. So, so let's say take that game. You, you, you almost bridged that gap, but by the time, you know, you start, stop playing in the mid two thousands. So your career course, I guess, spilled or i mean the 80s is one game so it spills over into this era yeah. what were the biggest things that you saw i mean sticks uh physicality by the time you left the game what was the biggest difference from the time you entered the game oh for me it's the way they they trained and the way they ate <laughs> like you know we yeah, like you I, said when we were after a game we go and have burgers and uh sure. beer no one even, pizza right yeah, no one said any different yeah no that's what we did we did lunches you remember tr we mm-hmm. i remember coming in before you were there my first stint there we had team lunches almost every day bud mm-hmm. and whether you were married or not and then the married guys would go home after the lunch and the other guys would continue on if we didn't have a game the next day we'd continue on to the next bar or the next restaurant and great be times. Out, yeah be out hanging out together all the all the single guys but um and that's just the way it was. And that was burgers, pizzas, and, and uh, beer, right? Nowadays, and it was started when I was in, in Toronto. Rob, Gary Roberts was big into uh, training hard and, and eating properly. And he was into the shakes and stuff like that. And um, that's what they all do now. They're eating, like, really healthy. And they, they do the shakes. And they have their own team uh, chefs that have food cooked for them right after the game. And, and they eat. They are on a schedule where they eat at certain times too. Like we just ate whenever we sometimes didn't even eat after a game, clear up a couple slices of pizza in the room and then head out and have some fun, have some beers. And yeah, don't eat too much. It'll ruin my buzz. That's right. Create create the memories. That's what one of my buddies said. Uh, Danny Grant was the first round pick to LA. I'd always ask him why eat because that ruined my buzz. I don't want to do that. But yeah, for me, it's the way they, they train and they eat. I mean, when I first came in the league training camp was like, a month and a half long. So we got in the shape at training camp in the, in the eighties, uh, the early eighties. Yeah, uh, yeah. We didn't really, we didn't really do much. We maybe skated for a few times near the end of the summer and that's it. I'll be honest. And now they, they train a year round pretty much. They might take a couple weeks off and they eat uh, so well that that's uh, what I, I, I think of the, the biggest changes. Obviously they're skilled and they're fast and all that stuff. And you know, the sticks and the equipment have all improved as everything does in life. That's just what happens. But for me, it's the training and the way they eat. Who would have been the, you know, the worst diet? Did you play with anybody that just had a shit, just like terrible diet? Just like, what's going I'll on? Play, I'll, I'll, play with a, I'll play with a lot of them, to be honest. In my yeah. career, in my, early on in my career, bud, we lived on, I, I remember playing junior hockey and I went to Wendy's for pregame meal. I'd have Wendy burgers. Totally different world. Yeah. And a frosty for, for pregame meal and go and get like, and do pretty good, right? Go do pretty good in the game. Like, Here's my only thing with, with all of that is that if it, I, and I get it, like that needed to happen. Like, you know, to train better athletes, you, you need to train your body. A certain, but a, there's something to be said for team camaraderie and they're losing that a little bit. I'm not saying it was way better in my day. You know, I'm not, I'm not, but there, there's certain things that we're losing, but why are people injured so much? I look at yeah. it like they couldn't, they're, they're building themselves into this. They're sculpting out a Greek God. Yep. And I often use um, 
the Yankees, you know, Giancarlo Stanton and, yeah. and uh, Aaron Judge. And, yeah. you know, these are big. These represent power, agility, everything. The, the 2020s athlete. And they yeah. can't run the first base. They fucking break a toenail. <laughs> they're gone. Out. Six weeks. And you're like, what? And it seems to happen. In, 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 it, that seems to be a trend over all these sports. Not only in basketball, they're taking time off just because in a month from now, I might be overtired. What? <laughs> Can you imagine that? No, I can't. Holy fuck, uh, Horace. The other thing is you're playing you're playing for money. I remember two years ago, and I love the Raptors, and I love Kawhi Leonard going there, and I loved his attitude. I loved everything he did. And I understand, yeah. but, like, to some level, I was in Toronto twice that winter, and I go to see the Raptors. Sorry, he's not playing tonight. That's tough. In time management, or what the fuck they're talking about. I'm like, oh, That's come on. He makes $30 million, doesn't he? I'm here as a fan. <laughs> You'll be out there doing whatever you had to do to make – a uh, hundredth of that, buddy. Come on. Yeah, yes, I mean, at least go out for warm up. At least we see me take you 10 three shit, three pointers. They're, they're, I mean, it's changed. I, I, I'm not going to deny that and, and argue that point with you. I mean, and I, I'll be honest. I think there's, sometimes there's a uh, there's a point to be made that you could be overtraining. I'm just being honest. Yeah, you could be overtraining because I, I I have seen and and not training right. There's 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 you got and you got to train for your sport too, right? I believe that that that's a big part of it and. uh yeah, and I mean, I remember, I remember, I remember, I remember Gretz saying that uh, never seen a, a, a weight or a push up uh, score a goal. I mean, he's got he what he's got like 27, 2800 points or something. But oh, I mean, God. I mean, eh. Gretz was in not like uh, cardio wise was was in great shape and was just a great athlete. He was a great athlete. Baseball played baseball. He could play all kinds of sports. He was just talented. And I mean, but. I just think you, they, they can overtrain and I think that uh, you need to take some time off and they don't nowadays. And I think that you can hurt your, your ligaments. I think you can hurt your joints. If you, you overtrain or you're training improperly and not training for your sport. A lot of these guys get in this uh, weightlifting type stuff and deadlifts and all that. And, I mean, I don't know. I'm not I, a buddy of mine, Phil Zulo. He's a, that's what he does. He trains people. He's a personal trainer. You've met big Phil Zulo before. I know Phil to give Phil had, a big shout. I love Phil, but this is the thing course. This is the thing. People are forgetting that they're, these guys are playing 82 games a year with more because yeah. exhibition and playoffs. Yeah. Hockey's a hard fucking sport to yeah. be out there and playing and outside of the, the, the cardio and then the mental toughness, you, you know, there's no out of bounds. You get a weapon in your hand. You got yeah. like, I, I just, I, I think you're right that, about it. that might be something, you know, these guys, even to go in, you know, ride the bike, do some circuit training, I guess. But why am I seeing a guy get interviewed in the background? There's people doing squats. What? Yeah. Well, Jesus, I hope you haven't played in two months and you're a black ace. And not only that, buddy, you see them. And, and I, I, that's what, what I was going to get at is my buddy Phil does the, a lot of training, but he, he doesn't like that kind of stuff. He doesn't like uh, what the weightlifters are doing more of. Uh, like the weightlifters, that's what they have to do because they have to weight, lift as much yeah. weight as they possibly can, right? And, and he's, he's never liked anybody putting weights over top of their head like this. Hockey players, he hates it because it's bad for your shoulders, he says. Good for you're putting, good for you're putting, you're putting a lot of You're putting a lot of stress and tension on your joints and your tendons, your leg and your joint. It's not good for it. Can't be. How can it be good for it? I agree. So I agree with you on that. And I agree with Phil on that. I mean, I understand that it's changed and they do have to train like you said, and you're not arguing that point, but I do think they, they maybe overtrain and they're not training myself personally. I don't think they're training properly um, for, for their sport. Yeah, and I think that's important. Of course, when you first went to, you're in um, St. Louis, a year and a bit, but you were the captain. Did you just go there, get traded there, and you were the captain right off the bat? No, no. I got uh, actually didn't even get traded there. I got signed as a restricted free. Oh yeah, I was one. Of, I was one of the only guys. 
Yeah. At that point, I think there was only two or three guys that ever got signed as a restricted free agent. And uh, Keenan had coached me in the, the Canada Cup. So he signed me. He was the coach GM and he signed me there. And uh, no, I, it was uh, into the season and he, Brett Hull was our captain and they took the C off of Holly and oh, yeah. gave it, they gave it to me. And it was a tough thing because I really, I was playing with Holly and on a line and I really liked Brett Hall and he was really, he's a great hockey player. And he's just a good guy. I mean, funny, funny as hell, man. Like one of the funniest guys ever. And people might not know that well, you might've seen him during the Stanley cup playoff run. So they know that he's a, he's a beautician and he's a lot of fun. So it was hard for me, but I mean, somebody had to do it. So I, I, I accepted it and took the role on, but not too long after we traded for Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. And I went right to uh, Keenan at that point. I said, look, it, I'm going to give the C up to uh, Gretz for sure. And, and Mike, said you know what I, I named you captain you don't have to do that and he didn't argue with me and say don't do it but he didn't tell me that that's what he thought I should do or wanted me to do he said you it's up to you your decision I'm not going to argue with it uh you know I made you my captain I, and I'm happy with you as my captain but Gretzky's the best player ever to play the game and he was a friend and uh I just would felt really weird being on all I end up playing with him again but being on the same ice as Wayne Gretzky the greatest player to play the game and, and look over and look over at 99 and he's not wearing the C I that just, would be fucking weird yeah. It, was, it would have been the weirdest thing ever. So they had a, a press conference and um, yeah, I, 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 did you tell, did you tell Gretz? Yeah, we, we had a press conference and uh, before the press conference, obviously he knew cause he had to be there. So I just told him, look at, I'm giving the C to you. And he was the same way, you know, him, he's a classy guy. He said, no, you were, mm-hmm. you keep the C uh, you're, you're, you're a great, great captain. You'll be a great captain. And I said, there's not a chance you're wearing the C you deserve it. Done so much for the game of hockey. You're one of the best leaders I've ever played with. And, uh, you deserve it. And, uh, yeah, so it was pretty cool. Uh, that's, that's my claim to fame. I passed the C on to Wayne Gretzky, buddy. <laughs> that's inside, uh, that's inside hockey right there. Listen, that series against Detroit. Yeah. Is uh, because of the goal and the impact and Gretzky had gone there. I think people forget how close you guys actually were. Cause you had a great hockey team. Yeah. We did. Um, you traded for, you know, I, I didn't realize you were a free agent going in. Traded for some great players, had to, um, some veterans to say the least. Yeah, Gretzky Anderson. comes in, but but not just him. And is that was that the year Grant Fuhr was there? Yeah, Fuhr's sorry, sorry, there. not there. Played seventy games. He played like seventy odd games. Yeah, he played um, a ton of games for us, and he played incredible for us. And like you said, you mentioned that was a great team. A great, we were a such great a, series course. That was a great yeah. fucking series. Yeah, we were a close group of guys and. Everybody had picked Toronto to beat us in the in the, mm. in the in the first round, and we beat them. And Fierzy got hurt in that series. Kiprios fell on uh, Fierzy and uh, tore his knee up. So we had to. Casey came in and did a great job for us. But yeah, I see that that things on Sportsnet. Eisman's shot from uh, just inside the blue line. I see it a lot. It really it's tough it's to watch. Like such man. a great highlight that people forget the rest of the series. Yeah, though. but the series was incredible. We were actually uh, we were up in that series, and we went back to St. Louis, and they they killed us five nothing in game six in st louis i remember i didn't know that i don't remember to be honest tr you know me i don't remember goals and assists and you're not one to game. dwell no, no and not, not even i wasn't and I, and I didn't even remember that game that we had lost that game that that's the way it went i just remember game seven losing in double overtime and i actually had a chance in the first overtime to win it uh, i had a really good chance i went ar- around the uh, russian defenseman what's his name again the kid that got Got hurt in the car accident. He was tough as nails. I'm just trying to think of his name, the defenseman there. Larianov. No, but he he was – it was a right-handed defenseman, a Russian kid. He got hurt in the car accident there in the limo. They were doing everything right, and he got hurt. He's in a a, uh, wheelchair now, but he was so tough. 
but I got, I got lucky kind of got around them and went in and I, and Osgood made the save, but just talk about that series. It was such, playing against him. It was like, I played against him every night because he, he was out against Gretz's line and me and Holly every, every time. And he was just a warrior, but that series was incredible. That group of guys were incredible. Glennie Anderson was there, Mac T, Craig McTavish, you know, Prongs, McInnes, uh, Mark Bergen, the GM of the Canadians was there, just a great teammate. Uh, they brought in uh, Noons. They brought in uh, Mato. Guys that Keenan liked to bring guys in that won championships and that he won championships with. And, you know, obviously Gretz being the big one. And, but it worked. You know, Didn't Detroit Leech, win the cup that year? Leach and everybody. Yeah, it was, it was crazy, man. We were, we were so close. And like I said, we, were, we went into game six in our home rink and we got bombed. I think it was five or six nothing. They beat us. And, and uh, you know, Casey played, Case played unbelievable for us. Uh, I mean, he played incredible, but I still believe that, you know, Fierzy was was healthy, was playing. I still think we we might have won that series. It just he was so good in the playoffs for us. He played so Three great that year for us. Times in your life, you've come inches from yeah. winning a Stanley Cup ring. Yeah, uh, Vladimir Konstantinov. That's, that's who it that's is. That's it. You nailed it. Vladimir was, Konstantinov. He was Jeez. a warrior. He was a warrior, oh, and he God. played hard. And we had a war that that series. And I mean. It was just an incredible series. I mean, they had a great team too. We had a, we had a really good team and uh, it was just, it was, it's tough to watch him bounce, jump up and down around behind the net yeah. <laughs> after he scored the goal, right? Ooh, they, played I bet. On, they played on sports net all the time. Well, I mean, it was a great series. Like you said, it was a great series and you know, um, somebody's got to lose and somebody's got to win. Uh, definitely. Okay. Of course, I've had a few questions that uh, all generally are saying the same thing. Uh, they're congratulating you and basically inquiring about your anxiety and depression. Now, I'm pretty open about that, too, especially in these times of mental health awareness, because I think I, I'll, st I'll preface it with this. Say in how I mean, uh, it's a thing anyway. I mean, I think everybody a lot, not everybody, but because I can't assume. But I think a lot of people get anxiety and, and depression to the point yeah. that it affects their mental health more than more than they admit. Right. So uh, and for me, it was magnified often in Montreal. Let's say your first round pick, you're coming in, your spotlights on you, whether it's good or bad. You, you're yep. used to extremes Well, that I could say Montreal because we played there together. I could say it about junior about whatever it would be, you know, here, here's your game. The scouts are here scoring overtime. Yes. Right. Or go out and give it over. And the other team wins. You go back, you feel like shit. And hockey is constantly those kind of road roller coasters and you're riding valleys, man. It's peaks and valleys. So to every young hockey player out there, I want to say that that's a normal thing, but at the time that we played, you would almost be cast out. I remember there was a guy, Wayne Hollowell. He started to creep into the dressing room, and I used to go behind the scenes and talk to him and go, hey, Wayne, like, do you have any advice for me? Can we talk? Don't, yeah. don't see me. Don't let any of the boys see me. Yeah. But now it's changed. So what made you, was it your own personal experience and empathy towards other people that might be having it, but what made you use your platform as Shane Corson to speak out and bring um, – awareness to mental health issues well first of all i i don't want anybody to, to suffer the way i did on on my own i just felt very lonely and on my own and afraid and ashamed and embarrassed to say anything and i just wanted to let people or help people you know not suffer that way and to let people know it's okay it's okay not to be okay it, it, it's mm. it's and emotions are part of life you're going to be down sometimes you're going to be up sometimes um but for me, it was mostly just to let people know that it's okay to, to reach out and ask for the help. Because if you don't do that, and I didn't do it for a long time, it just snowballs and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. 
And I got to the point, Terry, that I was, I thought about suicide. I, I'll be honest. I thought about it a few times, jumping off my buddy's balcony or driving my car into a tree or a wall or whatever, like just different things or taking, taking some pills or whatever. And f- for me to be able to help people not suffer like that. And, and also I know that I did, and I know I found out after I talked about that other people that I knew close to me that were suffering. And if I would have known, I would have tried to help them at that point. And, and, and the people are really good at hiding it and not showing it. That's the thing. Like it's yeah. the people you least expect have that, not to have it, have it. And then also I have four kids and my youngest daughter, Will, who plays at Boston college suffers with it. And my son, Dylan uh, suffered with it. Um, you know, there's lots of pressure on him when he was coming up through hockey because of, you know, obviously who I was and making it. There was pressure, different pressures on him. There's pressures of life, not just hockey players. Yeah, so, yeah, for sure. So I seen, I, I, I seen that uh, they were suffering with it too. And I wanted to, to, just come out with it and let people know that, you know what, it's okay to just let people know you're not okay and, and you, you're suffering and you, and you need help. And, and, and for years I hit it because I, like I told you, I was embarrassed and shy about it. And it was the worst thing I ever did. I mean, I wish I would have came out about my issues and my problems a long, long time ago, because the longer you let it go, the harder it is to get out of it. And you can get out of it no matter where you are, at, what stage you're at, just ask for help, reach out, go get the help you need. And it's gotta be the proper help. Everybody's different. Everybody's different. Like I went to the first uh, doctor, psychologist, uh, psychiatrist, whatever you wanted to call him at the time. I don't even remember what he was because he put me off so bad. I felt so like I was being judged and looked at and, and, and interrogated, not helped. So I left there and I went to Dr. Shaw's with the NHL and he said, I'll look after you. I'll take care of you. I'll talk to you. And I felt so much more comfortable. So it helped me. But the reason I'm using my platform to be quite honest with you is just to help people. I don't want people to suffer the way I do. I don't want people to suffer the way my kids, my kids have at times. And, um, we're lucky enough and fortunate enough to have platforms to be able to do that. Not everybody that suffers with it wants that wants to help people can do what we're doing. And we don't have, they don't have the opportunities to have friends like you that have a podcast and a platform with a bunch of followers to help them. So, and obviously people do it in different ways. They help with charity events. They go out and give their time at different homes or, or hockey helps homeless is another way you can help with, with mental health. Cause a lot of people that suffer with mental health end up on the road, on the street because they lose yeah. everything. They lose everything. So there's different reasons why people suffer with mental health. There's different ways to treat it. Everybody's different. Everybody has to get what is good for them and what they feel comfortable with. But in the end, it was just that I just, I suffered so much for so long and I've seen friends that have passed away or killed themselves with, with suicide. And I just wanted to help. And if I could help one person uh, when I started this, uh, it was well worth it. And one, and two of them being my kids talking about it and letting them know it's okay. Uh, and it's not a weakness. It's, it's an illness. And the funny thing is I've learned that it's a lot of people that really actually care about other people, care about things and, and try to do the best and be the best people they can be that, that suffer with it. So um, that's why I do it to help. And, and honestly, uh, it happened once when I was in, I was doing a hometown hockey in Niagara Falls. I'll never forget it. And I seen there was a kid waiting there after he got my autograph, he kind of stood off to the side and I could see he was looking at me. I think, you know, when you feel somebody's waiting to talk to you. So yeah. I just said to the guy, let the, the young fellow know that I'll, once I'm done here, it's, I got 50 minutes left. I'll talk to him. Sure enough, he was suffering with it. Mm-hmm. And I talked to him for a while and about a half an hour and just said, you know what, that it's okay. Uh, you're not alone. You can get better. There's, there's ways to get better. There's programs and people you can reach out to get the help you need to get help. Yeah. Sorry about my dog. He's barking in the back. He's letting me know that he wants to go outside. Um, he's a big German shepherd, but, okay. uh, uh, I just said, uh, uh, don't be afraid or ashamed or feel like you're, you're weak because you're not, you're, you're strong by reaching out and getting the help you need. Sure enough, a year later, I was doing one in Hamilton, hometown hockey for, you know, Rogers and Scotiabank and all that. 
that kid waited in line and came and see me again. He said, Shane, you saved my life. You talked, you, you convinced me to go get the help I needed to get. And TR, everything I've ever done in my life, hockey wise or sports wise, never mind just hockey, whatever sport I was playing, it doesn't touch what that made me feel like. Like when I when that kid said to me, you saved my life. And he still stays in touch with me on on Instagram. When he sees me post something about mental health, he's always saying this guy helped my help save my life. And it that for me, saving helping that kid. And and you know what? It wasn't just me. It's that it's his strength that he took to go and get the help and to stick with it. Cause you mentioned some people go get the help and then they don't feel like they're getting better right away. It takes time. It takes time, but you can get there. Yes. Everybody's me, different. Like you said, everybody's different. It takes time and it takes different. It might take multiple doctors. It might take medication, it might not take medication. It might be whatever. But the first step I learned when I went through it was admitting that I needed the help and then getting the help and then sticking with the help. Cause it didn't, wasn't a, a quick process. It took me time and I deal with it every day. I still deal with it every day and I know, and I have tools that I can, but I still have my panic attacks and anxiety at times. I still have a little bit of where I'm down, but I have the tools and the support family obviously is a big part of that. And then I have support with, you know, some really people that care about me, doctors and stuff, but TR was honestly just a tell my story. And if that story could help people not suffer the way, you know, I've seen myself and friends and, family and just strangers actually suffer from doing different events where we've been at. We've seen people that have suffered with it. That's why I did it. And, and in the long run, and it's therapy for me, to be honest, it's therapy, you know, therapy and treatment for me. I love I it. Tell like my you story. said, right. You're, you're not alone. A lot of it is communication and talking and because I get a lot of these, you know, especially talking about it a little bit. I'm sure you do too. And the little boy was physical evidence that you could see, but there's all kinds of people that you're helping that you oh, see and you know, buddy. And, just knowing you're like, for me, it's knowing you're not alone, right? That, that's right. And that's, that's what I mean by therapy for me. First of all, it's talking about it and then understand that you're not alone. There's all kinds of people out there. They're more than you. Like you said earlier, you said there's way more people out there that have this than we realize. And I found that out when I came out with it myself and talked to it. Cause I talked to guys that I never knew were suffering with it. Stefan Richie suffered with it. Alex McGillney was suffering with it. There's so many people you did. I mean, I know, I know tons yeah. of people, Kenny Reed, who's on sports in front of yeah. a TV and on front of millions of people, he suffers with it. It's just, it's, it's something that I, I it just makes me, you feel like you said, you don't feel alone. you you, you talk about it. So it feels good to talk about it and you're helping people. That for me is why I, why I do it. The biggest reason is to help other people. Cause I, I've seen, I've seen a lot. We've lost friends because of it. So, I mean, and we, we, we were there once ourselves doing things that were, weren't good for, for us because of the mental health and, and things. And uh, that's what, why I do it. That's thank you, of course. I, I, I say thank you on behalf of a lot of people. And uh, you always made me feel comfortable. I mean, I met you when I was 20 years old, and you always yeah. made me feel comfortable. That's natural. So you're, you're a natural helper and leader. Okay, of course, it's time for rapid fire randoms. So uh, we're almost done. A few uh, lighthearted Q&As, and then I'll let you on your way. We good? And then Bear, is it Bear? Or no, Bear, Bear passed away. He wants to go for a walk, is it? <laughs> you're right. He, it, it's a... Uh... Easton. We call him Easton. Okay. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> it's always going to have to do something with hockey, buddy. Yeah, always. Um, finish this sentence. If Instagram was around when I played in the NH, when I played in Montreal, comma. <laughs> I might not be in the league. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I figured it would be something like that. If I didn't play hockey, I would have. If I didn't play hockey. You know what, TR? I never ever even thought of that. But from when I was a young kid, I always had the goal and dreams, and I wasn't going to let anybody tell me I wasn't going to reach those goals and dreams. And I mean, that's why I tell kids nowadays: don't let anybody tell, 
tell you you can't do something you, you want to do. And I'm not talking about hockey. I'm just doing saying anything in life. But if, if I wasn't a hockey player, I mean, I always, I, I'll be, and it's something now, if I was going through, I was a kid and I was deciding what I was going to be, I wouldn't want to be that now. And that's being a, a police officer or a firefighter. I always looked up to those people when I was a kid because mm-hmm. they were there like, taking care of people, saving people. And I thought it was kind of cool. And they got to wear a uniform, right? You know, so I wore them a couple, I wore them a couple times when I was at Halloween and stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, nowadays it's so tough for, for with everything going on, it'd be a hard job to do. I mean, you gotta be like, um, you know, obviously some of these guys, they, they've made mistakes and didn't do things obviously properly. Like in the George Floyd, that was just terrible. I mean, the guy's getting what he deserves, but it'd be a tough job to do right now. So uh, I probably would have been a police officer or a firefighter, uh, but I never really even thought about it. That's good. That's a, that's an honest answer. You didn't have to fucking think about it. And that's great. And, uh, you know, and I think hockey players a lot do make good place police officers and firefighters. I think it's because of the teamwork. Like you said, there's a uniform, there's a structure. I think there's a lot of parallels. Exactly, TR. And you know what, TR, they, they can, they, being one thing that uh, hockey sports taught me is that to work with other people and, and to, to understand other people and understand their emotions and understand and, and, and diffusing uh, things when they're getting riled up or fired up instead of making them worse. And I think that's where, you know, the changes have to be made in the police and they got to re- figure out how to diffuse things, not make the, 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 the situation worse and, and crazier than it is. Right. That's a and fantastic, I mean, I mean, a lot of them still can do it. There's a lot of, I mean, I have a lot of friends that are cops, like ex hockey players, Greg Johnson, who I played in the world juniors with, and he's from Barry. He's a great uh, cop. Uh, I mean, I got uh, another buddy here, a couple of buddies here in Toronto and they're great cops. I mean, the majority of them are great, but you know, some of them, uh, there's definitely some issues there that need to be fixed and, uh, and uh, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take some time, but it, uh, yeah, I think that's why we were, we were good at, we were, we were good too. I believe you. Uh, I agree. If you were a movie villain, who would it be? <laughs> Superman. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> like the, the, the bad Superman in Superman four, when he turns bad and he's got that's his right. black uniform and he pisses everybody off. Hey buddy, I was going to say that or, or it would have been uh it would have been uh, Batman because you can wear a mask. <laughs> oh, nice. Boxers or briefs. <laughs> I go I go with the banana hammocks. I, I go I go with I go with the I go I wear boxers now, but I go with the briefs for sure, brother. Clean shaven or scruff? Scruff. Motley Crue or Metallica? Oh God. I love Metallica. Uh, you know, we know we both know that Thornton, Scott Thornton, a good, a great team of ours, loved Metallica, loved it. Him and Turner like, Stevenson, that's how I got he, into them. They yeah, were like, he, Enter Sandman, play Ride the Lightning, play Ride the Lightning, the full right. album, the full album. I was like, Jesus oh, yeah. Christ, songs yeah. 13 minute songs, just <laughs> thrash. But I did get into them after that. <laughs> so did I, actually. I was never into that type of music, but when we were playing there with those two guys, and you're right, T, Big T was into it too. Thorny, I'm still, I still talk to Thorny a lot. I haven't talked to T in years, but I talk to Thorny a lot still, and he's still a good friend. So that's why I brought him up. But yeah, yeah, uh, I I'd, say, I'd say Metallica because of them, but then I, I think of soon, just the name Motley Crue. I love it because <laughs> we, were, we were a bit of a Motley Crue, the group, our group, when we were in Montreal together. You've got it. That's as good as answering any. Would you rather be in a Robert De Niro movie with Robert De Niro or sing three songs on stage with Bruce Springsteen? Oh, shit. I've always wanted to be a, mus- like a musician. I love, like, I love rock stars. Uh, 
I'm a t I can't sing worth a shit and I can't play an instrument. I mean, I know you, I love it when I come out there and you get up there and you can sing and do it all. <laughs> Sam, and Sam Roberts is a good friend of ours. So yes, yes. I've watched a few, watched a few of his shows, but I always want, you know what? Shit. I should have said that if I wasn't a hockey player, I might want to be a rock star, but I only thought of that not when I was younger. So I always looked up to the police officers and the firefighters because I'd seen them as people that were protecting us and taking care of us. That's why I said that. But I always wanted, when I got older, like in my twenties, if I could have picked something, it would have been a rock star. So to sing with Bruce Springsteen, I think he's a pretty cool dude and he's been around forever and he's done really well. It would be pretty cool to be up there and, you know, um, the, the stadium going bananas because we love that. We love this hockey guys. Yeah, man. Fans. I love that we saw Sam go through that. Yeah, I love Sam it. Sam went it, from playing yeah. Curly's yep. <laughs> to like playing no. stadiums overnight. Yeah. And we love it too as hockey players. We love the people, the fans, and that's what they get too, the musicians. You just sit there and you're playing and they're giving you're giving them happiness right they're out there and you're giving them happiness and they're there's they're chanting you on and cheering you on it just feels good and you're and you know you're making them happy too so definitely with definitely with spring street patio beers or dressing room beers uh dress room beers if you were a muppet and then patio beers and then patty i was gonna say one goes into the other one a and one b that's what i'm saying first of course that's what i'm saying to you yeah, can't take either. I take I take both. I'll do the the dressing room beers first, and then move to the patio, as it always does. If you were a Muppet, which one would you be? I never watched the Muppets. Well, you know, there's Kermit. You know, there's Fozzie Bear. Yeah, I know, I know. You now they got that crazy guy that plays the animal. Is it? Oh, animals on the drums. <laughs> I can't remember I'd be, now. I'd, I'd be the fuzzy bear. There you be the fuzzy bear. There, yeah, that's who you'd be. The fuzzy bear. Uh, <laughs> If you had to go out for the night right now, you're getting ready. You're going down. We're all perfect. But before we leave, we're going down to, let's say, Queen Street West. We're going to sit on a patio. And then we're going to take in a concert somewhere. Would you rather wear girl's shoes or a girl's hat? Girl's hat. Okay. Because the girl's shoes, I, I, I could not walk in them. But a hat is fine. It's easy. You just throw the hat on. I wouldn't care less what I was wearing. I don't really care Good what answer. I wear. So we don't really care how we look because we're going to no. get buzzed no. anyway. Yeah, you're just right. Gonna have, just going to have fun. But I wore the hat, not the shoes. I couldn't walk in them. What superpower would you choose? Well, I wish I was really smart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. I thought you were going to say invisibility cloak. Or, no, I learned over years that it was, pays off to be a really smart person in many ways. Trust oh, me. Oh, fuck, yeah. yeah. So I, school, I school, was, school wasn't my thing, to be honest with you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't finish grade 10. Now, yeah, you now just saying, didn't try. <laughs> now, saying that, saying that, you're right, I didn't. I, was one, I had one thing, folks, saying that. It's so important for kids to go to school now. Times have changed. You got to go to school. You got to get your education. And the college route's an unbelievable route, too, as you know. As you well, know. Of course. It's all changed. It's all, I no, mean, it's all changed. And, you know, I things know. were done a different way. It is, I mean, you could have gotten past. I do find some humor. We can laugh that you never got out of grade 10. You could have easily right. graduated four, four years of university. I find right. you got to You're right. You got to qualify everything now. We're not saying that I'm not, we're not saying it's not good not to go to school. Look, <laughs> some people didn't. And some people, you know, it's just the way yeah. it went. You're yeah. a smart guy and you didn't happen to get through, but other people should. You got one month on an island. What's you that? have to eat food yeah. from one of these places. You have no other choice. You're on this island for one month. Okay. Burger King, McDonald's, A&W, Dairy Queen, Arby's, Taco Bell, KFC. Oh, my God. And I love every one of them almost. Okay. I wasn't sure, so I added all of them. You got I one love, full month. But one full one. month. You love McDonald's. You love Burger. But could you eat it for one straight month? 
You got no other food. There's just a there's a little kiosk there. Are you asking me if I could eat it for a straight month? Once I'm saying you're on an island and you need you need to eat one of those foods for one month, but only only that, nothing else. You have the, you only have one of those menus. Oh shit! I mean, I, I would probably go with McDonald's. I guess there is variety, and it's you, got you know what? Because you know, you know why? That's what I was gonna say. Like I, I love KFC. I mean, I love A and W, and I I I could go on. I like I like them all. I'm not McDonald's, a big Arby's fan. You could I'm toss not a big arson, salads but, and but, stuff. That's but, right. But, but McDonald's, you can throw in the shakes. You can have a couple salads here and there. You got Nothing's the, the great, chicken. but it's variety. That's right. Chicken McNuggets. I got the Quarter Pounder. I can eat the Big Mac one night. I could change it up a bit, TR. And there is a bit of, there's a bit of in muffins. They got muffins. They got coffee. So I, I'll be okay. I'd survive. Yeah, you would. Uh, you are. TR, what I'm asking you what, about all those, those menus you threw at me there, hmm. I, I don't think one menu has any beer on it. Oh, well, yeah, that's, that's true. Okay. Does Arby's have okay, no? Wait, as I turn the page. <laughs> Next question. Same island. Yeah. One beer for a month outside of your son's company. Yeah, well, his is a gin and soda. Uh, gin, and gin and soda, soda. is it? Okay, lemon. I see that. So I love them too, but they're, 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 they're great. But no, I, I would go with uh, Coors Light, Molson's Coors Light, because... For, for obvious reasons, but Molson's uh, was our owner for a lot of years. In the always good to us. Always, always I, I never turned down my 100 free dozen at the end that's of the right, year. That's right. I was going to say, we back our truck and they'd give us all oh, kinds. So, yeah. I mean, they were so good to us. And I, and I, enjoy, I, I enjoy a good cold, cold Coors Light, but I'm not picky. I'm not picky. What was the last gift you gave somebody? The gift of love. <laughs> no. Wow. It no. sounds like a Paul McCartney song. You know what? We're gonna go funny. right into silly love songs. songs. Hey, no. To be honest, uh, it's funny thing is I just gave my son um, yesterday. I gave him a pair of, uh, and they're not. They weren't new. They were my shoes. I, I had the, uh, these shoes that uh, he really liked, and I don't know. It's just time of giving right now. I mean, everybody's having a tough time, going through tough times. He's working hard with his new company, and it's even tougher because of the COVID. And I just passed on some shoes that he really liked of mine. So nothing crazy, just a pair of shoes. Almost done. If you had a time machine and you could go anywhere and do anything, where would you go and what would you bring? Oh, that's a tough one, TR. I mean, uh, God. Oh, God. That, that's so tough. I mean, I, I love doing things with my family. My family's so important to me. They've done so much for me. My, you know, my, uh, my wife, my kids, my mom, my, my, my brother-in-law, my sisters. But you know what I would do? I'd probably take – I'd love to go back in time and, and win a Stanley Cup. I mean, I love the game of hockey. It gave so much to me. I mean, in saying that, I, all I care about in life right now is that my, you know, my family and friends are healthy. And that's all I really care about. You learn, especially going through this time, you realize that, you know, how lucky we are just to go out for a walk and do normal things that yeah. we took and for to granted. And to be born in this time as opposed to 99% of the times in that's human right. history where my biggest worry would be get through the night without getting eaten by a lion. That's right. Or you're gone. You're done. You're dead, yeah, right? right? So, so <laughs> nowadays, for, nowadays for me, it's, it's just all about being – my family being healthy and, and happy because, and, like I said, this time right now, it shows you that how lucky we are to live in a great country like Canada, too. And, you know, luckily, like you said, in a different time, there would have there's terrible. It's terrible. So many deaths that have happened already. But there probably would have been so many more if we wouldn't have been so lucky to live now when there's so many great scientists and doctors and nurses and all that to, to keep us uh, healthy and, and, and get us back from being sick. But in saying that, if, if that was just like put that aside, for me, that's the most important. My friends and family are healthy and I can see them and talk to them whenever I want. Putting that aside, I would, I would take 
um, some of my favorite teammates make a team and win a Stanley Cup together. Of course, that's the because best answer that I've ever had to that question. That's a great answer. Who would you bring? Uh, for example, I would go into the future and I'd bring a bag so I could grab something. I, I believe that there's going to be something, that, a pill that makes us live for longer. Forever. Or, or I'd go in, yeah, forever. For, or I'd go and see my like great, 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 great grandkids. But that's good. What would I bring? I'd bring friends to support, you know, a good enough team that would win a Stanley Cup. What a fucking answer that is. Yeah, well, I would, cake. Ex-teammates, ex-teammates. Some of my favorite teammates, I would pick them. Somebody that I would want to share that with that are still friends now and that I think are great people, mm -hmm. more importantly, the hockey players. And we could share that because I know there's a lot of guys that I play with too that never won a Stanley Cup. So uh, I will grab them, go back in time and win a Stanley Cup together. And we could share that together and have, and have a lot of fun together because uh, the, the guys I would pick, we'd, have a damn good time together. I'll tell you that. That's beautiful. Watch last question. Did you have a favorite player growing up? Yeah, I, I, I had a couple favorite players, TR. I mean, we mentioned one. With you said Sittler and, and, you know, Sittler, Sittler, Sittler was one of my favorites just because I was a big Leaf fan. Like I loved all the Leafs to be quite honest. Lane McDonald, you know, uh, um, Ian Turnbull, Mike Palmatier, Boris Salming, uh, uh, Earl, Earl Thompson. Uh, you know, he's from out East. Uh, um, there's so many guys that, that, that I loved on that team and Sittler was one of them, but I also loved uh, Bobby Clark. Oh, I mean, I, he was one, he was one of my favorite players. No he shit. Played the game. You, you, I can see the, yeah. the styles, you know, shoot left forward, yeah. chippy. Yeah. yeah. And Brian Troche, two guys that I loved the way they played mm. the game. They played the game the right way. I felt they dropped the gloves. They had to, they were a little bit nasty. They played uh, well defense. They could kill penalties and they, they you know, could play in the power play. And, and obviously both of them contributed offensively and they were great leaders. So I really liked that. Bobby Orr was another player I loved, but those two guys, I, I really liked a lot just because like you mentioned the way they played. And the funny thing is TR almost got drafted by the Flyers. I mean, I sat down, I've sat with Clark, Bobby Clark was one of our GMs uh, in the Olympics in 98. Uh, Bob Gaines yeah. was the other GM, but I've sat down with Clarkie before and uh, he tried, he thought he had a deal done with the Toronto Maple Leafs in the 84 draft to get the Leafs pick. I think it was fourth at that fourth or I think they were fourth, right? They took Al Ifrady, big yeah. Al, who we love, who we love. Yeah, um, but he thought he had a deal done with the Flyers to get picked fourth. And he was going to pick me because he obviously probably thought that he seen some similarities in the way we played. We nasty a bit and tried to play the game the right way. So it would have been, would have been interesting, but I uh, loved playing in Montreal and loved the city of Montreal. And they were so good to me. I wouldn't have made the friends that I've made uh, and things would have been different. So I, I'm, I loved how things went for me and the people I met. And it was just incredible. You can't argue with your journey. I'm going to leave you with some song lyrics as I always do. This one comes from the tragically hip. Sometimes the faster it gets, the less you need to know, but you got to remember the smarter it gets, the further it's going to go when you blow it high dough. In other words, now Gord Downey has a lot of interpretations. There's a lot behind his music and a lot of depth, but what I often take from that, don't blow on bread when it's already risen. There's no stopping it. The legend is Shane Corson. There's no stopping it. The snowball is still going. Whether it's on the ice or off the ice, you've been an absolute inspiration to many Canadians and hockey fans worldwide. And uh, don't slow down anytime soon. Lots of stories in the past, and there's lots more ahead. Thank you again for being my guest for the second time, Shane Corson. And I shall finally see you soon. I can say that with confidence. And... Um, We'll, we shall have a, we'll have a beer and a cheers in person. How's that? I can't wait, TR. I mean, then we can create more stories, buddy, and we'll be on here again together. <laughs> we'll, but yeah. Just, yeah, we'll have you back for the third one after we go out again. That's right, because I'll have a few more stories, as we <laughs> always do. But 
I mean, TR, I just, I, I just wanted to say thanks for having me. I mean, I love going on your show. Um, you're just a great kid. I mean, I look at you as a kid because you were a young kid when I met you, and I still look at you that way. Um, and uh, like I said, I mean, I've met a lot of hockey people, a lot of people over my, my life, and uh, you're a gem, buddy. You're one of the best. You've got a huge heart, and uh, you do a lot for people, and you bring a lot of happiness and fun to people's lives. And I think that's the most important thing that people can give to people is happiness and fun because that helps you live a lot longer. And, and we're not here for a long time. We're here for, uh, to enjoy it and to have fun. And you, you give that to a lot of people, a lot of love. And, uh, I just, I want to thank you for the support you've given me over the years, not just as a hockey, uh, teammate, but as a friend, uh, through a lot of things that I've been through. And I really appreciate that and the support you've given me. Well, look, it's been the, it, that, that part there has been completely mutual and I'll never forget the day I met you in 1996 in a restaurant somewhere on the road. Anyway, you walked over, you were 10 years into your career and I was just starting. And you said, you went eighth overall. Hey, you go, so you said, so do I, you shoot left, like to mix it up from Newfoundland. We're going to get along. <laughs> we're going to get along just fine. <laughs> I love that was 25 years ago, of course. So thank you. I remember that, buddy, and I'm glad we're still friends, and we're going to have a lot of great memories together uh, moving forward for sure. I and I can't wait to see you again. And I love I, I love the people out east. I really do. I mean, I love all all people, and I love hockey fans. But I really enjoy my time when I come out there. You know that. You've seen it. I do know it. <laughs> okay, buddy. We'll see you again here soon. Thank you. Thanks, brother. Okay, folks. There you have it. Shane Corson. What a guy. Um, and thanks for the contributing questions for those who sent them in uh, not that I want to get overwhelmed with questions every time but I must have hinted at it in my stories on social media and a lot of those were some great questions I love talking with course obviously he's a buddy and a big influence and uh, 25 years later we're still chatting so thanks again to Shane Corson and uh, next week we got Jody Shelley tune in remember Wedgwood Cafe check him out TJ's Pub Green sleeves downtown. Why not come to George Street? Have a good time. There's lots of good bars. Why not visit my, visit ours? Trinity Pub got a deck back on this week and uh, should look pretty good. Uh, any posh women's wear reimagined. Check it out. Shoot me a note if you're interested in the hoodies. They got some great products, but I love the hoodies and I'm willing to throw in a book and uh, some pictures from me and my dad for the right price. Crazy deal on the hoodies. Just inquire. Send me a message or go to pennyposh.com, women's wear reimagined. Listen, this has been great. I got to take off because we once again went overtime and uh, we did this one in the evening. It's almost my daughter's bedtime and uh, I got to go pick her up now. So listen, thanks for tuning in. I love you guys and uh, stay safe, stay open-minded, stay sympathetic, stay empathetic. Don't kill each other. Don't be racist. Don't be a dickhead. Let's all get along. We'll see you next week. Catch you on the rebound. This has been Tales with TR episode 50. See you soon. <laughs>